Welcome to Live Daf, your online Daf Yomi Shir. Shalom Aleichem, welcome back to today's Daf Yomi, which is Mayat Katan Daf Vav. We are holding seven lines from the top of the Amit. Back to the topic of being with Sayin Akeva, they used to mark, they used to identify the Imokam Tumah to ensure that uh, people carrying Truma would not interact with that Tumah. We had several Makaris from Sukkim that one is meant to give advance notice to the travelers, make it seen on a Makim of Tumah. Says the Gemara, Amar Matzah Evan Mitsuyanis. He finds, he notices one stone marked, painted with this uh, marking. Tachtehatame. He must assume that the Tumah is beneath that Tzion, beneath that stone. Now, although typically we don't mark too close to the Tumah, we meant to give him advance notice. But here, as Rashi will explain for us, it's different because you have a raised area, a stone which is visible from afar, and therefore it is sufficient to just mark that stone itself. And you know to keep away from it. So let's take a look at Rashi. Seven lines from the top. Motsa Evan Achas Metsuyanis. He notices a stone all marked up. Besid with some lime. Tachteo Tome. He must assume that the Tume is beneath that stone. Umipi Mari Hazokan. Rashi says in the name of his Rebbe. He explains as follows. Evan Achas Metsuyanis. There's a stone marked. Shei Sidal Gabo. In this case, there's no need to mark at a distance. Why? Stone is raised off the ground. He sees it from afar. He gets advance notice. And therefore it's okay to mark the actual Mokamatuma itself and not the area around it. But if it's just a flat area, they actually place the Tzion near uh, with a little bit of room to spare. Because it's a concern that he won't notice the tzin until it's too late, until he's actually on the Tumah. Okay, back to the Gemara. He finds a single stone marked. The Tumah is underneath. Two stones side by side with uh, some space between them. And both stones, only the stones are marked, not the ground be- between them. Oh, if there is some marking between them, of course. The entire area, even the space beneath the stones are considered tummy. If there's no marking between the stones, then just because we have tum on this side and on that side, it still doesn't mean that the area beneath them is tummy. The area between them is tummy. It's only the stone itself and the area beneath the stone, but not between the stones. Benain is tummy. Asks the Gemara. In all cases, even though the land between the stones are not plowed, is it still toher? When there's no marking? But listen to this price which indicates otherwise. He notices one stone marked up. Underneath that stone, we have two stones next to each other, both marked. If the area between them has been plowed over, then you assume there's no Tumah. 
but otherwise, if there's no plowing taking place, Bene and Tommy, you have to assume that not only are the stones Tommy, but the area between the stones as well. This is clearly, clearly in contradiction to the previous halacha. Only the presence of Harisha precludes the presence of Tumma. Amar Papa, typically, we don't assume there's Tumma between the stones. They're not marked. Only the stones are tummy because they're marked, but the area between them, there's no marking, and it's tar. This price is speaking about a case as follows. The line, the marking, the, the paint is spilled over the stones and over the sides onto the ground below. So you do find some markings on the ground below as well. And it stretches to the area between the stones as well. So you found something on the on the ground between the stones. Oh, so typically, we would assume that's an indication of tumma, right? Now we have a kula. Listen to this kula. If that area has been plowed, you can assume it's tur. The ground is tur. Even though you have markings. You have some paint on the floor. Why? The aim where we can speculate that machmas that the paint found on the floor came about through harisha. He plowed the area. He scraped these stones, and that shed some of the paint onto the floor. So you attribute it rather than attributing it to tumah. You attribute it to the plowing process, and therefore the area is tar. But if there's no plowing there and you find Sid on the on the ground, there's nothing to attribute it to other than Tumma. Sid the Baini Bainiu Vitami. This is the Sid that belongs between the stones, and it's an indication of Tumma. So bottom line is you find one stone marked, beneath that stone is Tummy. Two stones with a space between them. If there's no Sid at all, it's tar. Why not? If there is Sid, so if it's an unplowed area, then it's an indication of Tumma. But if it's a plowed area, then you can Take a look at the stones and see, well, maybe it's uh, just uh, been scraped off the stones. In which case you can attribute it to that. The Harisha brought about, dragged over the Sid, but it's not really naturally there. And therefore you can assume it's tar. Omar This fellow finds a field with one boundary, meaning one side of the field all marked up. Now this boundary was a raised area, so it's like the stone which was raised. If it's marked up, we have to assume who tummy, the area b- right beneath that boundary, contains tumma. But soda the rest of the field is tar, because he wouldn't place the the marker over here if he's trying to indicate that the rest of the field is tummy. It's too far from the rest of the field. So we assume right beneath this mark, right beneath this uh, this meitzar, tumma is to be found. Same thing applies to shnayim. Two sides of a field are marked. Those areas, beneath those markers, we have Tumah. The rest of the field is Tur. Sending with Shloisha. Three sides of the field are marked. The Tumah is to be found there. The rest is Tur. But our they have all four sides of a field all marked up. Now we have to assume that he had the field in mind. So he marked all the borders, which indicate that everything inside is tummy. So the 
actual borders themselves, which have the marker, are considered tar. Otherwise, he would have placed his marker outside the, uh, those borders to indicate that I have the borders included in the Tumah as well. So in this case, only the borders all around the field have markers. And we assume that those borders themselves are out of the Tumah. He was just indicating that the area inside, the field inside these boundaries are tum, uh, is Tumah. Hain to her, and the border itself is tar. We call a solar Everything inside is tummy. Like you, you identify a field by its markers, by its borders. Right? So the borders are meant to uh, border in the field. So when there's something on the border, it's an indication of the field itself. Look, everything inside, everything inside this enclosure, this marker is tummy. But the mokem that's marked, the actual border itself, in this case, is tar. Otherwise, he would have done something differently. He would have put the Identifying markers right outside, beyond the boundaries, to indicate that the boundaries themselves are also included in the tumma. Now, why do you have to place markers all around this field? You couldn't have just done only on one side. We learned in Marchikin the never meant to put the tzion at a distance from the tumma itself. Because we don't want to cause undue hefset to Yisrael. Which happens when you place the Sion at a distance from the Tumah. You're increasing the Makam Tumah. So typically you put the Sion in close proximity to the Makam Tumah. And therefore, he knew full and well. If he only marks one side, nobody will speculate. Nobody will understand that the field itself, which is at a distance, is considered tummy. He was compelled to mark all around this field to indicate that the enclosed area is tummy. That's why we have to assume the field is tummy. So again, if he marks only one boundary, which is a raised area, it's like that stone, we assume the tumma is beneath that uh, stone, beneath that uh, meitza. But if he marks all around, that's a derecha of making a gvul, of a marking a field all around and around. What does that tell you? I'm identifying the field as a mokim tummy. Not the boundary itself. V'yaitzin ala fakilayim. Son Cholamoydi, Bezin sends out inspectors to go check the fields and ensure there is no kilayim growing. Asks the Gemara. V'akilayim b'choylo shilmoydi afkinan. Do you mean to say they do this on Cholamoydi? They go check the fields. On Yamta, v'raminu. We have a steer from a Mishnah in Shekolim which tells us otherwise. Be'echot ba'adah. On the first day of Ador, Mashmin al-Ashkolam, they announce, they spread the word, it's time for Machtas HaShekel to resend to the Beis HaMikdash, Vi'ala Kalayim. They give notice to the uh, field owners, take a look at your fields, ensure that there's no Kalayim. So, Echad Ba'adar was the time for Vimashmiya, for informing. On the 15th of Ador, Purim, Kurnus and Megillah Bakracham, the walled cities read the Megillah, and then they begin sending out the, the uh, road workers, the <laughs> construction workers, they go uh, pull out the, uh, the kaitzim, the, the weeds, the, uh, the, the wild uh, growing weeds which uh, appear on the roads. Osaka and Rochavis go out fix the Squares, they fix the city square and they check the mikveh 
the mikvoyes throughout the city to ensure that they're functioning properly. They go out and they take care of all the public uh, public works. They mark the graves, mark the tumah. And they go out to check the fields to ensure there's no presence of kalayim. Oh, so we have a steer. Here we learn. When did they send out the uh, kilaim inspectors? 15 of Adar. And now Mishnah we learn. It takes place only Chalamayit. A month later. Answers the Gemara. Reb Lezer. There's a terrorist given by Reb Lezer. And a terrorist given by Reb Yezer Rechanina. Chatam, I want to answer it. Khan Bebacher. The two types of crop. The, uh, the early ones and the late ones. Khan Bebacher. The Mishnah and Shkolem. That they do the job on Hamish Asabadar. That was to address the uh, the early growth. Kamba Afal, our Mishnah, which indicates that they go out to check on Chalamoid, speaking about addressing the late growing crops, which take a while to surface. The other Mand Amar answers, Kamba Zroim, Kamba Yerakis. Depends what you're looking for. Zroim, uh, seeds, plants, as she says, Tvor, grain. That comes out early. And that can be uh, that can be inspected during Ador. But Yerokais, vegetables, take a while to develop, and that has to be inspected Pesach. When do we say that they wait until Ador, until Nisan? That's only El Shein Nitzon Nikar. The Nate, the blossoming is not is not um, discernible, meaning it's it's not yet growing, it's not uh, it's not developed. You don't see any growth. Aval needs a nicker, but suppose you 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 discern kelaim uh, growth even before Adar. You it's an alayan lealter. There's a gersa lealter. Then Bezin sends out shluchim right away. Look, there's kelaim growing in the field. It's irrelevant whether it's kislev, tevis, shvat. If you see it, of course you have to address it. Asks the Gemara, Maishno bechilushal moyed. Why is it that we send Shluchim on Chil Hamoyed? Is that an appropriate time to engage in uh, weeding out the Kalai and doing Malacha on Chil Hamoyed? You know why? To save the Litzibur funds. To save, to conserve the Maman Hegdish, which was used to pay for these expenses. Misham Schar Pu'ula. You're saving on the, on the wages. The Moisley Gabon, because the workers give us a, a break, give us a discount on Chalamoid. It's off peak. It's not much work going on at that point. So we got a bargain. In order to conserve Mom and Hegdish, we, we allow this to take place on Chalamoid. And Taisus asks for a Mishnah later. He never really meant to uh, work, even in this case. He says, Since it's a mitzvah activity, they allowed it. Together with the fact that you're saving the Hegdish money. Amr was vid v'temer b'msharshia. Shmamina, we have arrived from here. Who pays for these expenses? Who pays for this work of the uh, field inspectors? Ki avinu when we pay them their wages, where does it come from? Mitrumas halishka avinu We give them from trumas halishka. So the trumas halishka was the portion that they separated from the. The, uh, the lishka, the chamber that housed the machzah shekels, they took from there to pay these workers. In this way, getting a bargain saves hegdish money. That's important. Asks Taisus, 
How can you use hegdish funds for this type of activity? For these types of mundane activities, non carbon related expenses. He says, leave Bezden Masna Lane. Bezden conditions it. When you contribute to the Masna Shekel fund, you're giving it Aldas Bezden. And Bezden has that in mind that some of this money will be diverted for other types of expenses. In any case, it's arrived from here that these uh, climb inspectors are paid for from the Maman Halishka. Because if, in reality, the landowners, it's from their money, that we pay these workers, they're responsible for the Kalim inspectors, what benefit do we have from it? Meaning, why would that allow, why would that justify working in Chalamayid just to save money? Call Whatever they ask, whatever they Wages are lit in the who, and they should pay for it. They're responsible. There's no justification for working in Chalamoy, but if it's a tzibur, public funds that are responsible for these expenses, so we allow uh, work on Chalamoy to lower the expenses. Now, until what point are we concerned? Meaning, so you see the field has some uh, beans mixed into the wheat. At what point are we concerned? At what point, what percentage is considered Chalamoy? Omar of like we learned in the Mishnah, in Kalayim, Kol Saw, any Saw of a crop, where you find a quarter, Rashi says, a quarter of a cob, which is 124th of another species. You might, you have to deduct, you have to minimize. You can't have that amount. 124th is considered a significant amount, and that mixture is considered Kalayim. So they go out to the fields and they see some mixture. They pull out until they get to the point that it's less than a 24th. That's okay. Vatanya, we learned in a so His skin, they were masakin. Bezna was masakin. We don't weed the fields. We see Kalayim, boom. We expropriate it. Shimafkir and Klausada Kula. We make it hafkar. And here you say that they go out and they, yeah, they reduce it to less than a 24th. They leave it intact. Like Kashi, the answer is, depends at what point in history we're speaking. You see, at a certain point they saw that the field owners are just uh, neglecting, disregarding the halachas. At that point they decide, you find kalayim, it's hefker. Kan koidem takana. If it's before the takana of hefker, then we go out there and we just reduce the amount to make it uh, to make it bearable. To make it halachically substantiated. Kan takana, but after the takana, when they saw that the landowners just disregarding, blatantly disregarding the halachas of Kalayim, they decided, knas, penalty. We find Kalayim, Hefker. This is how you've learned. In a Brisa, Barushoyna, on a Mishnah, Barushoyna. In the olden days, Hoyokran inspectors arrived, they pull out the Kalayim, and toss it out, drop it there so the behemoths can have it. And what happened? That defeated the purpose. The landowners were doubly happy. So they say, look, we're getting free labor. They're weeding our fields. Number two, look, our animals have what to eat. So they say, this is not going to work. They say, the inspectors, right? They find Kalan, they pull it out, and they toss it onto the roads. So you don't have benefit. You can't feed it to the animal. But the farmers were still very happy. 
although they don't have animal feed, but Shemanakshins are the same. They're getting free weeding service. So as the dirt has progressed, the, uh, your Shemayim diminished. And at this point they said, there's no alternative. You all feel this extra appropriated, it's Hefker. And that's what the previous price on top of the Amud was referring to. So in fact, there were three stages to the Takana. Initially, they would pull it out, drop it off. Next, pull it out, throw it onto the roads. And finally, Mafkir and Kulasadakul. Says the Mishnah. Or Blazer ben Yaakov, Moishchen Sa'ilon Sa'amayim, Me'ilon Le'ilon. We learned back in Afbeis that on Chalamoid, on Shemitah, you can go ahead and water a field which is desperate for water. It's a shalach in that tire, that thirsty field, because you'll have to avoid hefsit. But otherwise, if it's just to enhance the growth process, the profit, that's not mutar chalamayid. According to the shita of Rabbi Yudah there, the Mishnah, and Blazavan Yaakov, as opposed to Rabbi Meir, we're going to see soon, he held that, you know, watering isn't that significant of a, of a mass, of a malach, and that can be done in any case. So we're picking up on that thread. Tayyiz explains, apparently they, they, that's, that's the way they used to water their, their orchard, their fruit tree. They used to drop a lot of water near one tree and then run it over to the next tree. You can do that because a fruit tree needs constant watering. And if you fail to water it, it's going to dry up. You're going to lose the, uh, the fruit tree. You can draw, you can extend, you can pull the water, even from one tree to the other, as long as you're not watering the entire uh, grain field, which doesn't really need watering. Because it can it can uh, sustain itself by, by merely a natural uh, rainwater supply. Continues the Mishnah. Or another example, you have uh, some growth, some seeds, some grain, which we're not accustomed to to constant watering before Yamtiv. You have no reason to water them on Yamtiv. It's no hefsin involved. This is whose shita? It's only mutter in a situation which can involve potential financial loss. In either case, whether you're accustomed to watering them, you're not accustomed, it doesn't matter. Rashi says, is that we had back enough base. Watering is mutter and chalamoyed regardless. Let's take a look at Rashi, four lines from the Masnis. Moishchen Mayim Me'ilan Le'ilan Why? The Havak is Sada Beis HaShlochan A fruit tree is equated to a Sada Beis HaShlochan The Pseidu Yaseri Ika which can involve financial loss if not constantly tended to Avalayashka Sada Kula which means Sada Beis HaBal which can sustain itself by natural by natural means it doesn't need to be manually watered so that you can't tend to, you can't water that on Chalamayid. Another example would be Zroim Plant seeds, growth which is not uh, tended to constantly before Moyid. They weren't accustomed to drinking, to being watered constantly. You shouldn't take care of them Chalamayid either. Since it's not something which is regularly watered, there's no psaid involved. If you avoid watering them for a week. Firstly, you can water the entire field, the grain field, 
Likewise, in the case of these seeds, these plants, which are not plant, which are not regularly watered before Yom, go ahead and water it. He says, every field can be watered on Chalamot. Continues the Gemara. Although, Reb and Yaakov tells us that typically you don't water a field on Yom Tif. Which means it's something which is naturally watered. You can't take care of it on Chalamot. But we have an exception. Suppose this field is a moist field and a moist climate. So although it's a Sadebe Sabal, which gets its uh, rain supply from heaven, but if it's it's meant to be moist, it's just the way it is. That's the way it's successful. It's always wet and moist. And suddenly we're hit with a, a dry spell and it's just drying up on us. Mutter, in this case, you can water it even a Chalamoid because it involves hefsit. We find the same in a Brayasek. We don't allow watering. Field on Chalamayid. That's only said, Zroim, which were not regularly watered before Yom Tov. But otherwise, if it needs constant watering, you can continue in Chalamayid. This is Rebbe Lezman Yaakov speaking. So this is an example of Hefzid. Here comes the next case. And likewise, if it was a moist field, a wet field, and suddenly it's drying up, there's another example of Hefzid, which is Mutter according to But if it's a, a field which is Gorid, which is meant to be dry, it was always dry. No news here. It doesn't need to be. Uh, it's just the way it works. It's, it's fine without it. There's no heta to be mashkir on chalamayid. The chachamim matirin bazeu chacham, which is rameir, allow whether it's a dry field, a moist field, a zroim that are regularly watered or not, watering is mutan chalamayid. Amar Ravin says Ravin achidish, and Tosis learns like this: that even according to Rabbi and Yaakov, I will allow watering in this case. Shemamina, we learn from here. Hai tarbitza, shori leterbutzi bechoyle demiyad. Explains Taisus. Tarbitza means a field which was not planted. It's awaiting planting. It's he's anticipating being zayre this field. So he's preparing it for the future zayre. How by keeping it wet, moist, and watering it. So this tarbitza can be watered. Shori leterbutzi. Tarbutzi is lashon of watering a. A sada halav in a grain field. So you can uh, you can actually water it even a chaylamayit. Taisa says lashon tarbitza is on a base habal. Just the lashon that they use. This watering uh, of base habal. Base habal is this field that's typically watered by uh, by rain uh, rain rain water. So you can go ahead and. Keep this this field moist even chalamayit. Why? Because it's meant to stay moist. So he has a chiddush ravina. Even kunter blazer and yakiv. This would also be muta because this is some sort of, some sort of form of like a half set because he's preparing it for zria. He's keeping it moist, and 
if you can't water it in Chalamoid, it's just going to be left to dry. Dry up. It's going to dry up on him. And therefore, it's mut. But the Gemara responds with a kasha. You can't say that. That's a chiddush. The Gemara challenges this chiddush. Sadegurid my timer. Why don't we allow? Why doesn't Rabbi Lezab Yaakov allow watering a sadegurid? So the grid is a field which is typically dry and doesn't need constant watering. Although he certainly gains and has benefit from watering it. My time, why can't you do it? Da'afla, because what he's doing when he's watering that field is he's expediting the, the growth process of the field. Da'afla is something which should typically take longer to grow. Mashvile kharfa, he's just expediting it, making it like kharf, azaris. Enhancing, expediting the growth process. That, that's not water, that's not... Avoiding hefsid, therefore it's also chanami here as well by the tabitza, which is a field which is still pre pre planting uh, pre planting stage. Just because he'd like to keep it moist and ready for future planting, it's not considered hefsid. Let it dry up, and it'll come back again and uh, stop preparing it for uh, for planting. The only gain is that afla, something which would drag out. Mashvilacharfa is trying to expedite. That's not a it's not a reason to allow watering. You can't water a sodilovan, a grain field on Shemitah. Nor can you do it on Chaylamoid. Right? Like we learned all along. A sodilovan, which is a base habal which typically does not need constant watering, there's no hetter to take care of it on Shemitah or Chaylamoid. Which indicates otherwise. Marbisen, you could water this field. So we have a stira. The answer is very simple. Depends who's speaking. The first price, which doesn't allow, because it's not a situation of Hefzid, is Rebbe Yaakov speaking. Second price, which allows, under all circumstances, it's the Rabbanu, it's the Chacham, it's Rab Meir. Watering is not an issue. Tani we learned in another price, this is going to be with Shitas Chachamim, who will typically allow watering. You can water the grain field before Shemitah, so that it produces uh, properly. So the vegetables grow properly on Shemitah. Not only that, you can even water it on Shemitah itself. Certainly if it's going to help you for Shemitah, and even if it's not going to help you for this year, so that it produces properly for next year. That's also a reason to be mad. So the bottom line is, we have two Shemitahs. Because when Yaakov says, watering is only mutter in the case of Hefzid. Chacham allow in all cases. Tzodenes issues. The farmer who's being attacked by by rodents, by uh, creatures who are uh, attacking his crops. So you can go ahead and trap them. Tzodenes issues. You can set up a trap and dig a pit to trap this issues character, this uh, type of creature. Kumar says it has no eyes, so you trap it before it reaches your uh, fruit or vegetables. Besach Barm, you can set up for the mice. Misada Ilan, whether it's a 
a fruit orchard, or a grain field, you can do it the way you typically do. You can trap in your conventional manner. So even though you're digging, you're setting up traps, it's mutter, to avoid financial loss. They are mechalak, differentiate. Depends on the level of severity. They're attacking your, your orchards and you can employ conventional means to trap the animals because Rashi says it's a hefzad meruba if they attack your fruit. But just a, a grain field, apparently that's not really attacked so severely and there's not much hefzad going on. So you can do something but do it in a shinoi, deviate from the norm. Another halacha. Suppose he finds a, a broken fence. You can uh, you can repair, you can patch up the the parts of the fence, but do it in a non-conventional manner, as the Gemara will explain, without cement. But you find a broken wall, you can rebuild it, no problem. Let's go over to Rashi, around three lines up. Ruining your uh, your crop. You don't have to deviate. Just set up the trap the way you usually do it. Even though he's protecting his field, it's mut. Why? But you have to do it Why? Apparently, the uh, loss isn't as great when it's a grain field. Which concludes, Some of his, uh, his fence falls apart. You can repair it in a uh, non-professional way. You can just rebuild it properly. Even though it appears like he's just trying to protect the Paris, which are meant to be half grand shmita, it's okay to protect your field. You can go and rebuild that wall. Says the Gemara, my issues. What's this issues? Animal that we're speaking about, Bria. <laughs> He's a creature which doesn't have eyes. A blind creature. He's attracted by by scent. My crow. Where do we find a, a remis to this creature in a pasuk? Pasuk against the hillim. Speaking about uh, the enemy of the tzaddik, they just melt away, disintegrate like the shavlu snail, which is temes yalich, which just uh, disintegrates when it's exposed to the uh, to the sun. Nafel Aishas Balchozu Shamash is a fall and stumble like this Aishas, like this Ishus uh, animal, Balchozu Shamash, who doesn't really have eyesight, he can't see where he's going, he just gets trapped and he's uh, he's gotten out of the way. Tonabon, Sodan as the Ishus Asakbarm, you can trap all these animals, Misodalovan, Misodailan, Kadarka Use conventional means to trap them, keep them out of your fields. You can actually collapse the uh, the ant holes, the ants that are attacking your field, collapse their holes, destroy their tunnels. How do you go about doing this? What's the, the method to be applied? I'll tell you a secret how to do it. Maybe offer Go over to another ant hole, take out some uh, dirt. And according to Rashi Xavyad, take out some dirt with some ants from the other hole. 
and deposit it into this hole. Now the locals will start feeling threatened. What's going on? Where's that earth coming from? It doesn't smell like our like our uh, you know, hole and uh, what are these uh, animals coming here attacking us and they just jump over each other and they choke it, they kill each other. So they take care of each other. There, you get rid of your ants. Omar of Yemer but I'll tell you how it works. Suppose uh, provided that these two tunnels are to be found on either side of a river, in which case they don't really, they're not familiar with each other. It's a foreign entity, it's a foreign uh, scent that's going to make them feel threatened. Provided there's no proper bridge over that river, in which case they're not, no, they're not known to each other. These two uh, schools of ants. Buddha, like a gamut, provided there isn't even a, a makeshift, like a, a one, a one, a single board bridge over this river. Buddha, like a mitzvah, there isn't even a, a makeshift, a real flimsy uh, way to cross. Rashi says a mitzvah is a, a single um, a piece of wood which uh, uh, which you cross by holding uh, holding to the rope alongside it. In any case, there's no way to get from one side to the other. So now uh, it's totally foreign to them. Where's this ant? Where's the ants coming from? Where's that sand coming from? Ad come how far apart? Ad parsa. I need to be at least a parsa apart. Meaning, if if there is no parsa between these two antos, they're close enough that even even if there's a river with no way to cross, somehow somehow they don't feel threatened. It's still uh, close enough, and they're still familiar enough with the sand, with the earth. In which case, you won't achieve the desired effect. Okay, so what do we learn today? We started with the tzion on that even. Beneath the even is tummy. You have a tzion on two stones. Between them would be tar. If you find some sid between two stones, it depends. So if the area is plowed, you assume the sid came off the stone, and really the makam is tar. There's no planted area. If there's no plowed area, then that makam is tummy due to the sid found it, which is an indication of tummy. When they go out check for the Kalayim, Tesvavador, to see the earlier growth, or to check out the Israim that grew at that time, Chalamoy, they would go out again to um, confirm that there isn't any uh, late growing Kalayim or vegetables that surface with Kalayim. We would uh, pay for these expenses from the Mois Halishka, and that's why we looked to save on the expenses. With three Madregas to the Takana, initially they would pull out the Kalayim and drop it pull it out, throw it on the drachim, and ultimately the umafka, the entire sudden. Regarding watering on Mayer and Shemitah, we have Machlikas. Well, when Yaakov says, Dafka the Makam of Hefzid, Sada Shalachan, Sada Ilan, or Sada Matunenes, which needs constant moisture, or Zraim that were accustomed to being watered, Lufneha Mayed. Rabbanan disagree, whether it's Mayed or Shemitah, any watering would be Mutan. What if he's attacked by these issues and achbarim? How does he deal with them? Tanakama says, no concern. Do what you usually do, whether it's chalamoyet, shviyas, and get rid of the pests. Chacham disagree. Depends on the level of hefzid. Sade ilan, which involves a greater hefzid, kedarkin. Sade lavan, shaloi kedarkin. Concluded with some good advice on how to get rid of the ant holes and the ant tunnels. All the best to you and besurus teves. For Klaus Roll.